This is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. First war crimes trial out of the Russia-Ukraine war is over. Captured Russian commander pleading guilty to killing a Ukrainian civilian. Uh, today inside of a courtroom in Kiev, sentenced to life in prison. But Russian officials today hinting they'll be conducting their own trials of Ukrainian soldiers. With the recently surrendered defenders of Mariupol, the primary targets, will this be the first of many war crimes trials out of this conflict? We're going to turn briefly away from Ukraine, look toward another potential conflict that could closely mirror this one. It's China and Taiwan. During his trip through Asia, President Biden said the U.S. will defend Taiwan against a Chinese invasion. We'll take a closer look at uh, what that does to relations with China. Right now, though, we'll keep the focus on Ukraine, where a young Russian soldier who pled guilty to charges of murdering an unarmed Ukrainian civilian, was sentenced to life in prison. Moscow has always denied its troops have targeted civilians, despite a wealth of evidence to the contrary, while Ukraine says more than 11,000 crimes may have been uh, committed. David Crane is head of the Global Accountability Network. He served as Chief Prosecutor for the United Nations Special Court for Sierra Leone, which tried former Liberian President Charles Taylor. Uh, will this trial be the first of, of many aimed at members of the Russian Armed Forces? Yes, it is. I think uh, we're going to see uh, quite a few uh, uh, judicial actions against uh, the Russian Federation forces. You know, it's really important. Uh, this first case, though, is a marker, a signal to Russian Federation forces if they violate the laws of armed conflict which they're not following clearly, then they'll be held accountable. And so this is a great signal to Vladimir Putin and his commanders and those soldiers that you got to follow the law, the laws of armed conflict, if you're in a conflict. But is what, what is actually happening, though, is everybody kind of laying the foundation? The Ukrainians are going to try uh, Russian soldiers uh, and the Russians are going to probably try Ukrainian soldiers. And then everybody has a group of people they can trade at some point. Is that it? No, that's not how this works. That's a, you know, I mean, it's a great question and an interesting point. Uh, you know, again, uh, we, uh, we do these, uh, these investigations, indictments, and trials like any other trial around the world. Uh, these are fair and open uh, based on the rule of law and not propaganda. And not, we're not setting these guys up for pawns in a very cynical kind of uh, trading prisoners of war game. Uh, the Russians are uh, you know, clearly unhappy about this. They certainly get the signal, but the bottom line is, is that the Ukrainians, so the prosecutor general, are really following the rule of law and prosecuting those who commit uh, violations of the laws of armed conflict, not just as a means by which they can trade uh, PWs. But it's a fair point, but uh, I, that's not what's going to be happening. You talk about this as a marker and setting down the line. Is it also a pretty high bar in terms of the sentence? Do we see similar sentences going forward if this is your baseline trial, uh, life behind bars? Well, you know, when you sit there as a, uh, as a member of the Russian Federation forces or of any armed forces, if you intentionally target a civilian and kill them, that is a war crime. And war crimes, uh, crimes against humanity, genocide and aggression, our international crimes and our mankind's most worst crimes. And so a life sentence is not inappropriate in this situation. It's based on fact and law, but I'm not surprised he was sentenced to life. And that leaves uh, Vladimir Putin, doesn't it? Um, does he ever get tried? And, and if so, what would an appropriate sentence be for him? He's the one who ordered everything. Well, yes, you know, he is the head of, he's the commander in chief of the Russian Federation forces and therefore under international law, uh, he is individually criminally responsible for the actions of all of his forces 
uh, in Ukraine as if he had done them themselves. So he is uh, he's very much liable for war crimes, crimes against humanity, uh, aggression, and potentially incitement of genocide. Uh, and appropriate uh, international and domestic mechanisms are investigating uh, him and his commanders for what they have done. Uh, and uh, I really foresee uh, uh, an indictment coming down the line and uh, for him to be indicted for these crimes. Uh, now, whether the fact he's president or not doesn't really matter. Uh, someday he will be handed over to a court for a fair and open trial. But the fact that he's an indicted war criminal, uh, he will lose all legitimacy around the world as a, uh, the head of the Russian Federation. That, that second to last point there, once he's out of power, that's what people would be waiting for, right? Because there's no way, while he still maintains his hold, while he is the president, that he probably sees any kind of consequence for this. But he's not going to be president forever. Well, you know, he's a dictator. Uh, and dictators don't have a very uh, bright future. Uh, you know, they die of natural causes, unnatural causes, or, uh, or they're prosecuted. You know, there's not a, there's not a uh, retirement in his life uh, ahead of him. And so, uh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, there may be a political circumstance when uh, uh, Russian Federation uh, uh, authorities will hand him over for a fair and open trial. They did so with President Charles Taylor when they handed him over to us for a fair and open trial. So these things take some time. But the fact that he is indicted war criminal uh, is, a, is a tremendous signal to all uh, strongmen around the world that are watching like crocodiles uh, that uh, if you commit international crimes as a head of state, uh, you'll be held accountable. David Crane, head of the Global Accountability Network. Now, quick turn away from Ukraine toward another David and Goliath fight in the making that hasn't even broken out yet. Uh, people on both sides of the China and Taiwan divide have been paying close attention to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Lots of similarities in the factors at play. And today, President Biden adding some fuel to the uh, fire of these strained relations. The president said the U.S. would get the military involved if China was to invade Taiwan. And that's apparently not a policy shift, but it's something generally not said out loud. With us is Shihoko Goto, Director of Geoeconomics and Indo-Pacific Enterprise, as well as Deputy Director for the Asia Program at the Wilson Center. Uh, so the White House insists that uh, Biden's comments did not mark a significant policy shift. <laughs> Are you buying that? Right. Well, um, in the late 1970s, the United States um, really cut off official ties with Taiwan, that if there is going to be only one China, then it would be Beijing-led China, and that Taiwan would be part of China. So this is where this terminology of a one China policy comes in. Um, that said, the United States has been incredibly supportive of, of Taiwan, and it has given a lot of military as well as economic support. But the wording has always been very careful to say that it would, um, the White House would um, support, uh, but not necessarily intervene militarily in China, in Taiwan, because that would be going into domestic issues. So now Biden is saying that it would come to the defense, the military defense of Taiwan. And that is really engaging in Chinese domestic concerns, or so that would be the Beijing, Beijing's interpretation of the situation. Yeah, what was the uh, the name for this before? Strategic ambiguity? Is that right? right. That no one was really right. sure what we were going to do. But this does <laughs> exactly. seem like a break. Or on the other hand, does it? I mean, if 
If this was the quiet part now out loud, was it even really that quiet? If as some people are pointing out, you know, every time you war game this, if China was to do it, we're always involved at the end of the day. So if we were always involved, then why not just say it and put everybody on the same page? Right. Well, the end goal here for the United States is to ensure stability, right? We don't want to go to war with China. But China is declaring that Taiwan is, in, is a core interest and that they're really prepared to go to war to save um, what they see as um, something that is rightfully theirs. And so the United States has to tread very carefully on this, not to aggravate China on the one hand, but to also ensure that Taiwan does not um, get absorbed into China. So words matter in this. And so this is why we're seeing a lot of attention being paid as to what Biden said. Well, I mean, again, and, and I guess to be as clear as one can be with something that's clearly <laughs> designed to be ambiguous. Right. Uh, I mean, when when the president says uh, we would get involved militarily, that doesn't necessarily translate, does it, into boots on the ground? It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have U.S. soldiers, you know, combating uh, Chinese troops. It could just simply mean providing, you know, intelligence info, right? Yeah. So what's happening, like we looking around the world, Ukraine, right? We're seeing a lot of U.S. engagement in Ukraine, but not exactly, you know, direct military intervention. The United States is supporting Ukraine every other means possible. Um, But that has given a lot of fodder about, okay, well, what is the United States going to do about other areas where it does need to intervene? Is it prepared? Should it intervene? If Taiwan is invaded, these are the kind of questions that the White House is really trying to um, engage with. And yes, um, there is a lot of call for greater what's called strategic clarity. Um, But at the same time, the, the goal, again, is to not provoke China. Do you think that China looks at what Russia did and the failures with this and is second guessing a little bit or at least walking back and thinking, okay, if we're going to do this, we got to be sure that we can pull it off because they're having trouble. Yeah. So the understanding was that for Russia, this was supposed to be a cakewalk, right? Ukraine was supposed to be this easy way for um, just like it did in Crimea, um, that it would be able to absorb Ukraine. Um, and China was support was supporting that kind of easy uh, military intervention. That has not been the case. And so it's given a lot of thought to Beijing and saying, right, well, we thought we could invade Taiwan too, but it's actually not going to be easy. And certainly um, the international community would be up in arms should uh, China invade Taiwan. So there is a lot of reconsideration, I believe, on the part of the Chinese. But they can play the long game. So if China does really want to remain committed to Taiwan, and it does, I mean, China is not only committed to um, uh, claiming Taiwan is theirs, it's also you know, really imposed itself on, on Hong Kong. Um, it's cracking down on the Uyghurs. It doesn't have a lot of uh, reconsideration, a lot of um, uh, public opinion, international opinion doesn't really stop them from wanting to claim what they think is theirs. And Taiwan is certainly one of them. Shihoko Goto, Director for Geoeconomics, Indo-Pacific Enterprise, and uh, Deputy Director of the Asia Program at the Wilson Center. Thank you.
This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thank you.